Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring Curiosity Stream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. It's been a while. As the speaker continued to ramble on about whatever, I could feel my eyelids getting heavy. So heavy. I didn't want to be there, but I had to. If we tried skipping out, the bosses would have been on our asses immediately, and they took attendance at the door. Still, I was running on three hours of sleep, which forced me to eventually doze off. When I woke back up, the auditorium was silent. I was under the momentary impression that the speech had ended, so with my eyes still half-closed, I started getting up. But the room was still full. Nobody was saying a word, though. The speaker simply stared ahead, his face devoid of any emotion, save for an empty, obscure smile. The people around me held comparable expressions, all seemingly frozen in place. This lasted for about five seconds before the speaker started talking again. I thought I was going crazy, possibly delusions spurred on by sleep deprivation. With that in mind, I closed my eyes once again, not caring so much about the consequences if I were to be caught. When I woke back up, I was feeling refreshed, but the speech was still transpiring. How long is this going to last? I thought to myself. I took out my phone, checking the time. 1.34 a.m. The speech was supposed to end at 10 p.m. I looked around, but everybody seemed complacent about the situation. But eventually, I spotted a few worried faces, three in total, looking as confused as I probably was. I made eye contact with one of them. I turned to the person next to me, asking in a whisper, about when the talk would be over. I assumed I missed something big during my nap. They didn't respond to me. They simply stared ahead, same blank eyes with the same empty smile. Suddenly the speaker stopped talking again. I looked towards the stage, seeing the same expression on his face. Am I having a fever dream? The silence lasted about three minutes before he went back to his spiel. This time, I actually paid attention to what he was saying. It was the same speech he was giving before. The exact words. In fact, he even introduced himself again. I pulled out my phone, texting one of my colleagues who was in the theater with me, asking him what was going on. No response. I scoured the crowd once again, eventually spotting him at the front. Like nearly everybody else, he had the same stare and smile. I decided to raise my hand in order to get the attention of the speaker. No reaction. My heart was starting to race, given the obscure and inexplicably terrifying situation. After about 20 more minutes, I could hear the speaker beginning to stumble over his words. Not in a human-like manner, though. It was more robotic, almost like a badly programmed robot. It all started becoming too much. I stood up and prepared to leave, but before I could take a step, I heard a cough coming from somewhere in the crowd. I looked over, seeing the woman I'd made eye contact with earlier feverishly shaking her head. There was genuine terror in her eyes. I sat back down, sweating and shaking nearly uncontrollably. I decided to call 911. A few rings and the operator asked me what my emergency was. As I got out the first few words, the theater went quiet again. I didn't want to look up, because I already knew what I would probably see. But I halted my words, doing so anyway. 
Everybody, speaker and audience alike, was staring at me. Same dead eyes, same dead smile, but not exactly. It was nearly impossible to discern, but there was a malicious presence in their collective expressions that wasn't there before. Hello? Sir? The 911 operator continued to speak on the other end. With every little sound she made, their faces became more and more subtly distorted. I shut the phone off and sat still. Everybody turned away and the speaker began talking again. I looked back at the woman who coughed earlier and saw her silently crying. Thirty minutes later, the speaker was hardly coherent, simply stringing together words that failed to form sentences with any actual meaning. However, I could hear faint police sirens from outside. The cops had come. Somebody in the front row took this as motivation, bolting out of his seat and sprinting up the stairs. I watched intently as he burst through the door. From the few seconds it was open, I could see tall figures in black cloaks and twisted masks circling the exit. The runner's screams were intense but short-lived, getting cut off immediately. The police stormed into the building shortly after, only to suffer the same fate. It's 3.35 a.m. now. The speaker's words have devolved into a quick, guttural series of throaty staccatos. His face has also begun drooping, along with the rest of the audience. The woman is crying loudly now, and the only thing I can do is join her. I was so proud of my wife when she added her name to the organ donor registry. It made me a little queasy thinking about parts of her roaming freely outside of her body. Still, I applauded her altruism. After she filed the paperwork, I didn't give it further thought. I assumed she'd outlive me and that I'd never have to contemplate the subject again. But life never works out how we expect. The year that followed the accident was extraordinarily difficult. I wouldn't wish the experience upon my worst enemy. I barreled through all the stages of grief. I felt extreme degrees of emotion that I didn't realize existed. I went through therapy and did my best to resemble a life built for two. I tried to recreate our little rituals. I visited our favorite restaurants, watched our cherished movies, and cried to our special songs. I'd spend hours sitting alone at our special spot. It was a grassy hill that provided a spectacular view of the entire valley. We used to watch the sunset here and hold hands like smitten lovers. Months went by. I persevered. I grieved. And I healed. I dreaded the one-year anniversary of her death. While I knew it was going to be difficult, the events of that night exceeded my expectations. That evening, I took my in-laws out for dinner. We reminisced about the good times and wept over the experiences we would never have. We hugged, said goodbye, and I drove home. I opened my front door to my pitch-black apartment and turned the overhead light on. In front of me were six people, three men, two women, and a young girl. They all sat on kitchen chairs arranged in a straight line. They all stared at me, smiling. Hello? I said. What are you people doing here? With a single unified voice they said, Hello, honey bear. The words sent chills down my spine. That was my wife's nickname for me. The last time I heard it aloud was exactly one year today. I'm calling the police if you don't leave right now, I shouted fumbling with my phone. What's the matter? The six said all together. Don't recognize me? The synchronization of their voices was flawless. Even their mannerisms, the tilt of their heads, the raised eyebrows, the pouting lips, all perfectly lined up. I shuddered. I'd seen those unmistakable quirks on my wife's face countless times. Listen, whoever you are, 
This is not a good night for bullcrap. Get out. I understand that you may be uncomfortable with my appearance, the sick said. But this is who I am now. What are you saying? Who are you? It's me, a honey bear. Your wife. I collapsed heavy onto my knees. I was already an emotional, fragile wreck. I was already an emotionally fragile wreck. This was too much to bear. That's impossible, I shouted, slamming my fist into the carpet. This is a disgusting prank. Get out. Do you remember when I signed up to be an organ donor? You weren't comfortable with the idea, but you still supported me. What are you talking about? Each of the people you see before you contains a part of me. One by one, they all stood up, uttering a single word and sat back down. Pancreas, liver, heart, intestine, lung. The little girl stood up last and said, kidney. Wait, so you, you people all received my wife's organs? I am your wife, they said. There is no one else here. My brain couldn't process this much lunacy at once. The room started spinning and I collapsed to the floor. This is impossible. It's not impossible, they said. And I need your help. No, this isn't real. Th this is wrong. What can I possibly do? The doctors who removed my organs still have my brain, and they are not respecting it. Every day I can feel them prodding and poking at it. It feels like an electric shock and I lose control. Together, you and I, we shall take it back. How? I must be reassembled. The little girl stood up and walked towards me. She handed me a piece of paper. I need you to buy everything on this list. I looked at the list. A single thick needle, a long spool of cotton twine, a set of heavy-duty brass chains, ten rolls of duct tape, gorilla glue, a large tarp, a canvas bag, and two flat-headed sledgehammers. What is all this for? I asked. They all stood up at once and I felt six hands on my shoulders. Honey, you're going to have to trust me. I drove my truck to Home Depot and sped way over the limit to ensure I'd make it there before closing. I tried to concentrate on the road, but focus evaded me as my mind somersaulted over the implications of what I just witnessed. I missed my wife dearly, and I would do anything to see her again. That being said, I was more than a little uneasy about my wife turning into three men, two women, and a little girl. Even though her speech was interpreted through a disturbing chorus of voices, it was still my wife. I had so many questions. How long had she been conscious for? How did she come back to life and control this flock of meat puppets? What was the purpose of this list? One question about the six people she controlled lingered uncomfortably at the back of my mind. Are they still alive? I arrived at Home Depot and sprinted inside. I grabbed one of their oversized shopping carts and went to work. I found everything on the list, put it all in the back of my truck, and raced home. I opened my front door and found the six of them still sitting on the kitchen chairs. Fantastic, they all said at once. Honey, can you turn on the backlight for me? They all stood up in unison and walked single file outside. I turned on the light, and I saw them standing in the backyard with the supplies I just purchased. I was transfixed as I observed their gruesome labors. One of the men laid horizontal on the ground. He set his legs straight and placed his arms at his sides. The little girl then tied his legs and feet together with the chains, clasping it shut. One of the other men laid down parallel to the first, and the little girl repeated the process. Then the third man sat on the ground in front of their heads and positioned his arms and legs so that he was spread eagle. 
He shuffled forward towards the other men, and they reached up, gripping his legs. The little girl then proceeded to use the long needle and twine to sew the men together. I winced as I watched the sharp metal pierce into the meat of the men's flesh. They didn't even flinch. I approached the grim spectacle. What are you doing? Isn't it obvious? They all said at once. I'm attaching my legs to my torso. The two women then approached the man torso, and feet first, they placed themselves in line with the man's arms. The little girl then repeated the process. She chained their legs together and sewed them securely onto the torso man's arms. The woman lifted her arms over their heads. The little girl dabbed the glue to their wrists and held them together to form a single, grasping, ten-fingered hand. The little girl surrounded the entire gestalt creation with a thick covering of duct tape. Finally, she took the canvas sack, strung it around the neck of the torso man and hopped inside. She propped herself up top, giving the monstrosity a comical, undersized head. I recoiled and went limp as I saw the abomination stand up. I was amazed by its flexibility. The man legs didn't appear to struggle with the weight, and the woman arms moved with surprising facility. Six bodies became the ultimate composite wife. She looked like a gross, fleshy Voltron. Sweetie, all the mouths said at once. Would you mind grabbing the sledgehammers and tarp and meeting me at the truck? The monster lurched forward, walked around the house, and disappeared from sight. I grabbed the sledgehammers and made for the truck. When I arrived, my wife was sitting upright on the truck's bed. She looked like a giant in an undersized lounge chair. Okay, kiddo. I need you to drive me to the university's research hospital. That's where my brain is held. You want me to drive you? I stammered. Won't people see you? No, silly. That's why I asked you to grab a tarp. I pulled the tarp over top of them and tied it down. I put the two sledgehammers in the back seat and drove. It wasn't a long drive. By this point, it was well past 10 p.m. There were some people milling about, but none reacted to an otherwise benign-looking truck. I parked in front of the hospital... There were some lights on, but no visible activity. We're here, I said, and drew back the tarp. Perfect. You're the best, sweetheart. Do you mind passing me the sledgehammers? I handed her the two massive bludgeons, and she grabbed each of them firmly with her ten-fingered hands. She lumbered over to the building's glass facade. She did not fit, so she smashed her way in. Fifteen minutes later, she emerged from the shattered front entrance. She was covered in blood and bits of viscera. She no longer held the sledgehammers. Instead, she clutched a glass jar in one hand and the sheath of paper in the other. I've got it! Let's get out of here! She clambered into the back of my truck and I stretched the tarp back over her. I heard sirens approaching as I sped away from the hospital. Ten minutes later, I felt confident we weren't being followed. I heard a gentle tapping on the back window. Hey, sweetie, my wife said. Do you know what would mean a lot to me if we went to our special place? I knew exactly where she meant, the grassy hill that overlooked the valley. It was not far. When we arrived, we had the place to ourselves. I stopped the truck, tore back the tarp, and held my hand out to help my wife down. Thank you, sweetheart, she said, for everything. She plopped her brain out of the glass jar and placed it securely in the sack with the little girl. I saw that she was still holding the handful of papers. What's all that? I asked. It's all the paperwork you need to set up an organ donation. I got it for you. For me? If it worked for me... Maybe it will work for you, she said. Each of her faces looked really hopeful. I wasn't sure if I liked where this was going. Don't I have to die first, I asked. 
We'll worry about that later, she said. She towered over me and gave me a gigantic hug. She surrounded me with her human arms and I felt the warm duct tape bodies of six people press up against me. Nothing else really mattered. I had my wife back. We sat together for hours, holding hands. I sat in her massive lap, and we watched the sun rise together. My name is Sam Wilkinson. These will be my last words on Earth. I recently got a strange email at work, and before I leave for good, I would like to tell you all about that email and what it led to. I don't care if you believe me or not, I just want to leave something behind. A confession, if you will. I'll try to keep it brief, but I guess I should start from the beginning nonetheless. I've hated my life for as long as I can remember. It started on my first day of school. That was when the bullying began. I don't know what I did to deserve it, or why it continued no matter how many times I changed schools. My only crime, it seems, was that I was fat. It was a vicious circle. The more they teased me, the more I ate to comfort myself, and the more I ate, the more they teased me. I became depressed and more and more socially awkward. As I got older and entered high school, I began to despise people in general. Basically everyone except my mom. My, misanthrop my misanthropic worldview didn't exactly help me, I suppose. Let's just say my personality became less than lovable. I never moved away from home and I spent most of my days in my mom's basement playing old video games. Such was my life. I'm already talking about it in a past tense. My god. That's still my life. My biggest shame, my biggest guilt, is that my miserable condition made my poor mom unhappy. I've seen pictures from right after my birth. My mom looked at me with so much joy in her, then, young eyes. At that time, she couldn't imagine what a worthless shadow of a person I would become. She imagined something different. She thought that little boy would grow up to become a man who eventually would give her grandchildren. She didn't think it would grow up to be me. I never learned any skills other than playing video games. So for the longest time, I couldn't get a job. But that was how I liked it. I didn't want to be around people. However, about three years ago, my mom forced me to educate myself so that I could find work and help out with the rent that kept on getting higher and higher. Reluctantly, I agreed and pretty much chose a subject at random at a vocational school, as close to home as possible. I didn't have a driver's license, so I couldn't travel too far from home. I didn't mind that, though. I wanted to be as close to home as possible anyway. The subject I chose wasn't fun. It was business administration, which pretty much just meant I would spend my time staring at spreadsheets in Excel all day. I never thought it would lead to anything, not because I didn't learn what I was taught, but because I didn't think anyone would be crazy enough to hire someone looking like me. However, after my internship at a large tech company, I won't mention its name here, but you've probably heard of it, I miraculously got hired. Although I had suffered all my life, it wasn't until this period of my life, which I'm living right now, that I started considering ending my life. The stress was unbearable from the start. Every day when I took the bus to work, I had to see how many people actively chose not to sit next to me. The workplace had an open office space, so I couldn't get away from people however much I tried, and they couldn't get away from me. For some reason, I had to sit together with the people from HR, the loudest and most social people in the entire building. I had to listen to their small talk all the time, 
while I stared at my horribly boring spreadsheets. And not surprisingly, they didn't like me. Mostly they pretended I didn't exist, but as soon as I had to talk to them, or as soon as I accidentally met their eyes, I could see the revulsion in their eyes. Jennifer, the young woman next to me, hated me the most. She always greeted me with an expression of disgust, and I often saw her roll her eyes when I sat down next to her. She was visually annoyed as soon as I spoke to her. From time to time I heard them talk about me behind my back. Jennifer didn't care to lower her voice. I couldn't really go to the HR department with my issues. This was the HR department. This is what my life has been like for three years now. Recently, my boss called me to her office. Apparently, a complaint had been made against me. She said the person who made the complaint wanted to be anonymous, but I'm pretty sure it was Jennifer. My boss told me, with pity in her voice, that it concerned my hygiene. Why don't you take a shower in the morning, she said. I already did that, but after walking the few hundred meters to the bus station, and after sitting on the bus more or less crippled with anxiety, I was sweaty again. I couldn't help it. Hearing this made me hate myself so much. My suicidal thoughts skyrocketed. The only thing that prevented me from actually killing myself was how much it would hurt my mom. I couldn't do that to her. But guess what? A week ago, my mom died. When I came home from work, I found her on the floor of the living room. I could tell she had been lying there since early morning because she still had her dressing gown on. She was still alive, but she couldn't speak anymore. She gurgled with a confused look on her once so beautiful face. I called the ambulance immediately. She died at the hospital later that night. The doctor told me she had suffered a massive stroke. Of course, this would have been devastating for anyone, but for me, it pretty much meant the end of my life. From my perspective, this world didn't have any decent people in it anymore. My boss didn't let me off work, not even to grieve my own mom. That was the kind of a-hole she was, but it was just as well. Staying home would have just reminded me of my mom. Everyone knew what had happened when I came to the office. I could tell from the atmosphere. No one gave me their condolences. I imagined shooting myself in the head, blowing my brains out right in front of everybody. But I didn't own a gun. Instead, my actual plan was to jump out of the window. After all... We sat 50 floors up. There was no way I could survive a fall like that. I had never felt so sure about it before. I had made my decision. It was at that moment that I received this strange email. As I said, this was a week ago now. The email began. Here's your access to the forest. A username and password followed, and at the bottom it said, Regards. Leif. Leif was using a company email, so I assumed he was from IT, and that they had started using a new software or system. I did find it odd that he didn't explain what it was, though. I didn't put too much thought into it, though, and just assumed it had already been explained at some meeting where I hadn't paid any attention. I asked Jennifer if she knew what it was. She shook her head with her typical attitude and said no with the kind of tone you use when a creep asks you out on a date. As always, I pretended like nothing happened, but inside I couldn't help but feel as worthless as she thought I was. I took a quick look at the window and told myself to just do it. However, I wanted to wait until after my mom's funeral. Soon, I thought and tried to picture Jennifer's reaction to seeing me jump. When I closed Excel a few hours later, just before lunch, I noticed a new shortcut on the desktop. The icon depicted a few pixelated trees. The forest, it was called. 
I thought it was kind of strange that it had just appeared out of nowhere. Usually I had to bring the computer down to the IT department to install new software. With nothing else to do, I clicked on the file. A program that reminded me of how software used to look in the 90s opened up in front of me. It didn't have that much content. There was a window that streamed what looked like a live video of a forest. I was able to use the mouse to look around 360 degrees, but other than that, there wasn't much I could interact with. The video quality was pretty low, but it didn't look computer animated. However, I soon got the impression that it must have been a computer game because under the stream there was a bar that let you set the speed of time. You could view the feed in real time, which was set as default, or increase the speed of time all the way up to 100 years per second. Beneath the speed settings there were only two buttons, import and export. That was all. In the menu there weren't that many options, just about and quit. I clicked on about. It just said, made by life. I played around with the program and pressed import. Surprisingly, a catalog with all the employees of my company popped up. I figured it was connected to Outlook where a similar catalog was accessible. There was a search bar to make it easier to find who you were looking for. I looked up and saw my boss walk by. I closed the program immediately. I went home that day without opening the program again, afraid that my boss would ask me back to her office again. At home I didn't think much of that forest. At home I didn't think that much of the forest. I had more pressing things on my mind to say the least. I was going to inherit my mom's house but not that much money. I knew I would never be able to pay the rent and the other expenses by myself and I didn't have any motivation to do anything about it. Thinking about this, I lay down on the sofa in the living room, looking at the spot on the floor where I had found my mom reduced to a confused shell of her former self. From now on, I wasn't just falling apart mentally, but physically as well. Soon I would lose the house, and most likely, end up on the street. I didn't plan on doing that, though. I fell asleep and saw the window at work in my dreams. It wasn't a nightmare. The nightmare would start as soon as I woke up. Next day I came into work one hour earlier than everybody else. I Usually, I avoided coming in that early, but now I didn't really want to spend too much time at home. Seeing the shortcut to the forest on my desktop made me curious again. I opened it. Everything looked the same, except it was nighttime in the forest now. The moon, more orange than our own moon, shone a sandy yellow on the leaves of the trees. I increased the speed of time to a few minutes per second. Nothing changed, but I soon realized that the clouds passing in front of the moon moved faster than before. Neat, I thought without any actual emotion attached to it. After that I tried to press the export button. The same kind of window opened up as when I had pressed import but with no names in it. I went to the import window, looked at the list of names, and pondered what this was all about. Eventually I decided to humor myself and searched for Jennifer. I selected her name and pressed import. A dialogue box showed up. Are you sure you want to import Jennifer Norman into the forest? I pressed yes. Jennifer's name disappeared from the list. I chuckled to myself, although I couldn't muster any actual joy, thinking that this program must have been some pretty funny inside joke down at the IT department. I went to the export window again. As I expected, Jennifer's name could be seen there now. Suddenly my boss entered the office together with one of our colleagues. I quickly shut down the forest, opened Excel, and pretended to work. More and more of my colleagues arrived, but not Jennifer. First I thought she was late for work, which wasn't unusual for her. And when she hadn't shown up before lunch, I assumed she was sick. 
I had a burger for lunch down the street. They didn't serve the best food. Far from it. But it was the only place where I knew no one from work would eat. In the year 2525 played from the ceiling. I sat there eating my burger and drinking my soda while I listened to the song and thought about jumping out of the window. I thought I would do it at the end of the week. Maybe on Friday. One day after the funeral. Back at work, my boss came to the HR department and asked if anyone had seen Jennifer. Apparently, she hadn't called in sick after all. It wasn't until now my brain went to that impossible place. Did this have something to do with what I had done in the program? Obviously not. But just in case, and some superstitious carefulness, I opened the forest and exported her. Are you sure you want to export Jennifer Norman from the forest? Yes. She disappeared from the list and appeared among the names in the import window again. One hour later, Jennifer stepped into the office. I figured she had just been late after all, just unusually so. As she got closer, something seemed off about her, though. One of my colleagues, a friend of hers, stood up and ran toward her. Jennifer! she exclaimed. What happened to you? I looked up to see the interaction. Uh, I don't know, Bella. I overslept. J just woke up and... I got here as quickly as I could, but I don't think I'm well. I think I have to talk to the boss about... What happened to your face? Bella continued without listening. I is that real? And your clothes? Have you seen yourself in the mirror today? My God. I looked at Jennifer's face. It was crossed with a pretty nasty scar. Her clothes looked old and torn, almost as if she had had them on forever. What do you mean, Jennifer said, and brought her hand up to her face. What? She ran into the bathroom, presumably to look herself in the mirror, and a few seconds later, she screamed and came running out crying. Everyone stood up, even me, and watched her leave the office in a panic. At that moment, it dawned on me. The time. It was set to several hours per second in the forest. I did some quick calculations in my head. If this had anything to do with me importing her, she would have been inside the forest for more than three years. While I sat and ate my burger down the street, listening to, in the year 2525, she had spent years inside. It couldn't be real. That would have been ridiculous. Jennifer didn't come back to the office the next day. Her husband, I soon understood from the inevitable gossip, had called in and said she wouldn't be able to come back to work for a while. I arrived at the office even earlier this day. I opened the forest. It was still set to a few hours per second. I pulled it back to real time. Some birds, larger than any birds I've ever seen, flew in formation in the sky. I sped up time again, this time to a few days per second. The birds quickly disappeared from the sky and the moon replaced the sun and vice versa in close succession. The trees moved as if seen on a video being fast forwarded. This couldn't be a real forest, I thought. It just couldn't. Again, I slowed down time to normal. Thomas, a guy from the economy department that had always made silly jokes at my expense, came to the office. I looked at him as he walked towards his office space with his leather briefcase in his hand and his expensive watch around his wrist. He looked at me. I nodded, but he ignored me. I couldn't see his office space from where I was sitting, but as soon as he passed by, I heard him placing his briefcase on his desk and opening it. I made sure the time was set to default and pressed import. Thomas Wachtmeister. I typed in the search bar and then I imported him. Are you sure you want to import Thomas Wachtmeister into the forest? I was. As soon as his name disappeared from the list, I carefully walked around the corner. 
His briefcase was lying on his desk, but he was nowhere to be seen. I went back to my computer. I looked at the video stream of the forest. It was in the middle of the day there now. I slowly moved the camera 360 degrees to try and see if I could see Thomas somewhere. It made me feel like an idiot even trying this, given how impossible it was. I didn't see him anywhere, but I did see some weird animals, two bluish giraffes walking by. The low resolution made it near impossible to tell if they were real or animated, but given that they were bluish giraffes, I just had to assume the latter. Thomas had probably just gone to the bathroom. Nonetheless, I made sure to export him. As soon as I did that, I heard something coming from his office space. I sneaked there to take a look. Thomas was standing up, seemingly confused. His usual water-combed hair was scruffy, as if he had just woken up. Hey, Thomas, I said. He looked at me, surprised he wasn't alone. I, I, I think I, I fainted, he said, blushing a little. What do you mean, I said. Are you okay? Well, I was just about to turn on my computer when suddenly I was lying on the floor. Really? I looked down, trying to come up with something to say. Do you remember anything from the last couple of minutes? He looked at his watch. Uh, no, I blacked out. I excused myself, telling him it probably wasn't anything to worry about, and went back to my computer. I felt a bit excited, although I still didn't dare to believe. My colleagues started dropping in and I couldn't open the forest again for the rest of that day without anyone seeing it. During the day there was some more talk about Jennifer. Most of what I heard seemed to be rumors. No one talked to me about it, of course, but it was difficult not to hear the whispers around me. One of Jennifer's closest friends at the office said she had called her and that it had been difficult to understand her. She had been obsessed with a certain nightmare that had returned to her as soon as she fell asleep. Something about being hunted by monsters deep inside a forest. It all started to seem too strange to be a coincidence. Was I responsible for Jennifer's condition? It made me feel weird. On the one hand... I never imagined myself doing something to harm anyone. I've never been a violent guy. But on the other hand, thinking that one of my tormentors had been forced to spend three years alone inside of a monstrous forest gave me some kind of satisfaction. I didn't dare to import anyone else the next day. I continued to contemplate my suicide, but more often than not, those thoughts were interrupted by... My thoughts about the forest. I spent two days looking at it, playing with the speed of time. I increased it to the max and saw the seasons flicker in and out. The trees grew and died and were replaced by new trees. At one point, there was a flash of light and all the trees were suddenly gone. I slowed down the speed. There had been a huge fire, it seemed. I sped up time again, and after maybe a minute, the trees grew up again, and soon it was as if nothing had happened at all. The animals didn't return as quickly, though, but eventually they came back as well. Most of the creatures I saw reminded me more of monsters than of animals. I saw an enormous white centipede with hundreds of red eyes. I saw some kind of snail or blob devouring a creature that reminded me of a huge stick insect. At one point, one of the blue giraffes came close enough to the camera for me to see that it didn't have a head, just randomly placed mouths along its neck, all filled with vicious teeth. Sitting in the safety of my office, watching these horrific creatures hunting each other on my screen gave me an odd feeling of coziness, like being inside during a storm. And there were a lot of storms inside of the forest. Sometimes they raged for years, and I had to speed up time to see the end of them. When turning the camera upward during these storms, I could see a purple nuance within the heavy clouds. 
All of this mesmerized me to such an extent that I didn't think much of the window. But I still knew that my life was over, and that I didn't really have a choice. During Thursday, yesterday, I continued to observe the forest. Again, I pressed about, made by leaf. Who was he? I spent the better part of the day trying to figure that out. I opened his email to me again, copied his email address, and tried to find him in the list of employees. However, he didn't show up. Even though he had one of the company's email addresses, he didn't seem to be registered as an employee. I checked documents going several years back, but without any luck. The name Leif never came up. I thought he might have resigned, but he should still have been seen in some of the records I checked. Eventually, I gave up trying to find him and went home without getting any significant work done that day at all. Today, I was supposed to attend my mom's funeral. It would have been an important day for me, a day that could have been some kind of closure. However, my boss wouldn't give me the day off. She said I hadn't sent in my application for taking the day off in time. And perhaps she was right, but... I mean, it was my mom's funeral for crying out loud. Of course, I planned on just calling in sick and going anyway, but something in me just snapped when she did this. I couldn't take it anymore. It had to stop. My boss, my colleagues, and the company at large was a cancer not just in my life but on society as well. All the hate I had built up over the years suddenly surfaced in a way I didn't think possible. Before this day, I had no idea how it felt to be one of those guys who came into the office one day with a machine gun. But now I did. Uh, of course, I didn't own a machine gun. But I had something else. The forest. I arrived early at the office. I knew that most of my colleagues were still asleep. Today, they would wake up to a new surrounding. For some reason, my boss was in her office, though. She couldn't see me from where she was, but I could hear her on the phone. It seemed to be an important call, and it was probably the reason she had come to work so early today. I opened the forest. A storm poured its purple rain over the trees. For a few seconds, I hesitated. My plan was simple. I would import the people I hated, which was pretty much everyone, into the nightmare on my screen, and then I would open the window and end my own life. Knowing that all the despicable people in my life would be consumed by monsters one by one. In a way, it was symbolic to do it on the day of my mom's funeral. My hesitation didn't last long. I pressed import and typed in the name of my boss in the search bar. The program asked if I was sure. I listened to her voice while she was talking on the phone and clicked yes. Yes, I know about the recession, but we still have to... She suddenly went silent. It gave me goosebumps. I walked to her office. The phone was lying on her desk. I could hear a man on the other end of it. Hello? Where did you go? I hung up the phone and returned to my own desk. I looked around in the forest, but I didn't see my boss anywhere. After this, I started to import the rest of my colleagues, Jennifer included. It gave me the kind of enjoyment I suppose anyone would feel getting back at their enemies. Since I was going to kill myself, I didn't really consider the consequences of my actions. I just let my destructive impulses guide me completely. After I had imported the entire HR department, I couldn't stop myself. Instead, I continued to import people at the company. Screw you, screw you, screw you, I said to myself while I imported people I didn't even know. It was enough for me that they worked at the company. My hate had consumed me at this point. After a while, people started showing up on the screen. Jennifer was walking around in front of the camera. She stepped up to it and screamed something. But since there wasn't any sound, I couldn't tell what she was saying. And then something came down from the sky and grabbed her. 
She fell down a few meters away, seemingly still alive. After that, I saw three men, still in their pajamas, running past the camera, hunted by what looked like a spider. But that was really just eight legs coming out of the back of a corpse belonging to one of the blue giraffes. I don't know why. Perhaps the severity of the situation became more obvious now when I could actually see the people in the forest. But I started to cry. It was a cry mixed with so many different emotions, but mostly with sorrow and hate. But I kept importing people. After a while, I realized that I could select more than one person at a time. I selected a random amount out of the thousands of employees on the list. Are you sure you want to import 167 subjects into the forest? Hell yes! I felt empty inside after I clicked yes, like nothing mattered to me anymore. My last sliver of humanity had finally been lost. With a cold heart, watching my confused colleagues seeking safety from the storm in the forest, I increased the speed of time to a few days per second. It went too fast for me to see anyone. Suddenly, a dialogue box popped up. James O'Nilson is about to expire. Do you wish to export? I pressed no. Now I knew I had killed. This happened a few more times until I just put the speed at maximum. Immediately a new dialogue box appeared. 210 subjects are about to expire. Do you wish to export? Again, I pressed no. I went to the export list and saw that it was empty. I considered importing even more people, but decided my deed was done now. There was only one thing left to do for me. I looked at the window. My decision to jump didn't have that much to do with what I had done. It wasn't a coward's escape from the police or anything. I knew that no one would be able to figure out where all those people went anyway. I would never get caught. My suicide was supposed to be the end of my suffering, and that was why I still planned on going through with it. And now was the time. Before I walked up to the window that I had fantasized about jumping out for so long, I dragged the speed back to normal in the program. It was a sunny day in the forest. To my surprise, I could see a stream of smoke coming from the ground a few meters away. I couldn't tell what its source was, but after a few minutes, I realized that it was people sitting around a fire. Later, one of them walked up to the camera. It was a man. He was wearing an animal skin and carrying a spear. He was wearing an animal skin and carrying a spear. A woman walked up next to him. They looked prehistoric. They kneeled in front of the camera and placed what looked like a piece of meat on the ground in front of it. Was it an offering? My first thought was that these people had always lived in the forest, but then it dawned on me that they must have been the descendants of the people I imported. Somehow, they must have survived long enough to have children. I decided to prolong my suicide a bit so that I could watch these people. They didn't do much more, though. After they had placed the meat, they walked back to their camp and then they disappeared. So I sped up time again, a few years per second. After about 50 years, I slowed down again. This time, there was some kind of altar around the camera, made by rocks and flowers, and I could see more campfires burning in the distance. I was fascinated by the fact that these people lived so primitive lives given that their forefathers were modern people. I then realized that everyone had imported into the forest had been office workers. Their knowledge of Excel wouldn't have been very useful in the wild. With a burning curiosity, I sped up time once again. This time, I allowed for a few hundred years to pass. When I put the speed back to default, the first thing I noticed was that the altar had been changed. This time, it looked more like a structure. Stones placed upon each other, but still in a primitive way. The people looked about the same, still wearing animal skins as clothes and wielding spears. 
This time, however, I noticed a woman carrying what looked like a bow and arrows. They were still in the Stone Age, though. So I sped up time yet again, and this time, I let approximately 3,000 years pass before I returned the settings to normal again. This only took half a minute on my end with the speed setting put at maximum. To my surprise, the inhabitants still hadn't surpassed the Stone Age. The altar was a bit more advanced, though. It now resembled Stonehenge. A bit disappointed at their slow development, an idea formed in my head. Now driven by curiosity more than hate, I pressed import again. I knew I was about to change someone's life with my actions, and do so without their consent, but it somehow didn't feel like a big deal anymore. I suppose I had gotten used to it by now. I looked up the smartest people I knew among the employees. There was only three of them. Depressing, I know. A medical doctor who had changed her career midlife. An engineer who had worked on some of the company's more experimental projects, such as the development of more sustainable energy sources. And a cleaner who had worked as a dentist in her home country. I imported them and sped up time for a few minutes letting half a century pass in the forest while I barely had time to scratch my head. This time, things had changed dramatically. The people didn't seem to live like nomads anymore, but in villages. At least there was a village built around the camera, so I assumed there must have been more of them. Finally, it looked like the inhabitants had become farmers. They were using carts with wheels, and I even saw them riding the blue giraffes like horses. The small guilt I had felt when importing the three more knowledgeable individuals quickly disappeared when I saw what they had contributed to during their stay inside the forest. I spent about an hour watching the people in the village, until I sped up time again. I took my time since I knew my colleagues wouldn't come in for work today. When I set the speed back to normal, the people were living in what could only be regarded as a town. It still looked like the village, but it was bigger and had objects made of metal in it, such as weapons and tools. Perhaps this was the Bronze Age. About twenty people dressed in white robes were playing around the camera. They reminded me of a mixture of Hindus and Muslims. The religious devotion to the camera made me feel important in a way I've never felt before. After all, these people wouldn't have been born without me. In a way, I truly was their god. And a part of me felt like it. I sped up time, and once again I noticed that nothing much happened. Development was slow. At one time, the camera was trapped within a set of walls. I couldn't see anything. But since I was watching the forest at a speed of one year per second, the walls quickly disappeared. Why had they been there? Had there been some kind of change in the religion? Houses went up and down, storms came and went. After a while, I witnessed the first war. I slowed down time, but the war went by so fast that it ended before I could see any of it in real time. The town was burning and people, women and children, lay dead on the ground, while people with paint on their faces walked around with spears longer than the ones I had seen before. Blue giraffes with empty saddles were feasting on the corpses with their long, terrifying necks. I decided to increase the speed of time to a hundred years per second again. It wasn't possible to see any individual actions, but the town grew. Then it was seemingly destroyed for a fraction of a second, and then it reappeared even bigger than before. This was repeated several times, and after about a minute on my end, six thousand years in the forest, I slowed down the speed of time again. The town was an ancient city now, looking like what I imagined Athens must have looked like back in the day. I noticed the flag of this civilization. It was black with a golden tower in the center. Perhaps it depicted the camera, I thought. After all, I had never seen the camera and didn't know what it looked like. As I let time speed up again, the city was destroyed and rebuilt a few times as well. Where is everybody? It was the janitor, a guy that always joked about my weight. Um, I said out of surprise. 
I have no idea. I tabbed down the forest. Hey, what was that? He said. Some kind of game? N no No. Come on, let me see it. I nervously brought the program up on the screen again. The forest? Uh, yeah, it just kind of... It kind of just appeared on my computer, I said. I panicked and didn't know what else to say but the truth. So what do you do? Is it like Age of Empires or something? Y yeah, I said hesitantly. N no, not really. I don't really know what it is. I felt a drop of sweat running down my cheek. You aren't supposed to play games at work, you know. That's why you're so fat. You need to stop playing all these computer days all day and hit the gym, man. He laughed. It isn't really a game, I said, ignoring his insult. Look, there are only two options, import and export. And hey, look, if I press import, I get the list of everyone who works here. I opened the list. Really? He said. That's weird. Yeah, everyone is on the list. Look, I typed in his name. Here's you. You're on the list. Well, what happens if you press import? Oh, I, I don't know. Let's try it. I selected his name and pressed import. The usual dialogue box appeared. Are you sure you want to import Ignacio Gonzalez into the forest? Ignacio laughed. This is some strange crap, man. I... I clicked yes. I never saw him disappear. Even though he stood right next to me, I didn't see him vanish. He was just gone. It almost felt like he had never been there at all. I quickly sped up time again. Ignacio Gonzalez is about to expire. Do you wish to export? I absently clicked no and let time flow by in the forest at full speed. Given what I knew about history on Earth, I assumed that the civilization inside the forest would soon mimic my own civilization. A minute later, I saw that I was right. The city had gone from ancient to modern in only 60 seconds. I didn't see any skyscrapers or anything, though. The camera was inside what looked like a huge military facility. People that looked like scientists walked around it doing different kinds of measurements. For a few minutes, I watched them work. On one of the walls, there was a huge world map. It didn't depict any continents on Earth. I could see borders and dots marking different cities. On some primitive level, I felt kind of offended that the people had stopped worshipping the camera. The scientists worked meticulously, but even though it fascinated me a great deal, they weren't that fun to watch. So I sped up time again this time to a year per second. Everything started moving quickly in front of the camera. Suddenly, in a flash of light, the military facility was gone and revealed a city that was completely destroyed. I slowed down the time. I had no idea what had happened, but it looked like the city had been bombed. I could see skeletons of skyscrapers in the distance, and there was smoking rubble everywhere. Then I saw a bright light in the distance, followed by a mushroom cloud climbing towards the sky. A sadness came over me. Over the time span of a few hours, I had accidentally created a civilization, seen it grow and then destroy itself. I couldn't see any signs of life. I set the speed at maximum. It only took a second for everything to turn green. The forest was back just as pristine as it had been from the beginning. Now I figured it was time to end my own life. Not as a failed man, but as a failed god. I left the forest running on my computer and walked towards the window. My steps felt heavy. As I opened the window, letting the summer air in, I realized I had forgotten my phone at my desk. I didn't want anyone to enter it after my death, so I went back to get it. Something had changed on the screen. Somehow, mankind had survived in the forest. It had taken them thousands of years to rebuild it, just as if they had to start from scratch again, but the city was back. When I slowed down time, letting a few more hundred years pass in the forest, I noticed that the city was larger than before.
the skyscrapers reached further up into the sky, and to my amazement, I could see thousands of vehicles flying through the air. I used the camera to look around, and when I looked up towards the sky, I could see lights on the surface of the orange moon. People were living there now. As I watched this world, now completely transformed from a horrific wilderness to what looked like a technological paradise far surpassing anything on earth, I cried tears of a happiness I've never felt before in my entire life. I looked at the window in my office and at the boring, primitive city stretching out into the horizon on the other side of it, and then at the city glittering on my computer screen. I thought about my beloved mom. She would have wanted me to live. This was before I started writing this, my last words on Earth. I just clicked on import. Are you sure you want to import Sam Wilkinson into the forest? Before I press yes, I just want to say one more thing. If you get an email from a man named Leif with a log into the forest, say thank you from me. New on Curiosity Stream. Get ready for the best of the best with our 100 Days of Curiosity, featuring fan favorite titles like Light on Earth with Sir David Attenborough. Join me on a journey like no other. Stephen Hawking's favorite places. It's a crazy world out there. The history of home with Nick Offerman. Not my home, just homes. Other people's homes. And many more. Don't miss 100 Days of Curiosity, happening right now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.